We've been talking about the power, the presence, and the person of the Holy Spirit. How many of y'all know that it's valuable to know the person of the Holy Spirit? And uh, I just want to uh, maybe apologize ahead of time or just say, you know, I get so excited about the Holy Spirit that sometimes I'm up here and I give way too much information. And maybe you guys are just like, whoa, Pastor, that's just a whole lot right now for me. I'm just excited because I know that once we get and understand the person of the Holy Spirit, there's victory, there's freedom, there is revelation, there's power, uh, there's holiness, there's holiness, and that's only stuff that the Holy Spirit can produce, right? I love what Dwight Moody said. He said, God does not require gold vessels, and he doesn't look for silver vessels, but he does require holy ones. Right? And we're made holy by the person of the Holy Spirit. And so I've just been excited to talk about the Holy Spirit with you and to share with you what the person, the power and the, pres- uh, and the presence of the Holy Spirit is about. Today we're going to do part two of the work of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to read John 16, verse 4 on down. Before we do that, I'm going to give you the context again. Remember that the disciples were walking with Jesus. Three and a half years, they've dedicated their lives to follow Jesus, gave up reputation, gave up occupations, gave up their towns, gave up everything they had to follow after Jesus. And after three and a half years, here is Jesus talking to them, and he's trying to get them excited about something they don't understand. He's trying to get them excited about something he knows they cannot understand, but he knows that later they will. But still, they're caught up in that agony of not understanding, and Jesus is caught up in the agony of trying to get them to understand. And in the process, he says to them, guys, I got good news. I'm leaving. And really, it's to your advantage. And Peter looks at him and says, whatever. Right? Where are you going? Why are you going away from us? Right? He says, why can't we go with you? Right? That's what he said in 14 and 15, John 14 and 15, as Jesus began to speak of this reality. But Jesus said, but when I leave, it's, to, it's going to be to your advantage because then I will send my Holy Spirit. We said last week the benefit of this is that when Jesus was with them, he was with them. But when the Holy Spirit comes, Jesus will live in us, live in and through his disciples. So again, this is a concept so foreign to the disciples. They didn't hear it. They've never seen it. And they're trying to understand the language of God and the kingdom of God, something that they have not seen, had not experienced or read about in this way. So in the midst of that, Jesus says to them that the Holy Spirit will come and the Holy Spirit will have a certain work. And last week we said that the Holy Spirit will convict of sin, and not sins, but sin. Why sin? Because the major sin is lack of faith in Jesus Christ, right? And then everything else flows from that. Convict of righteousness. Why? Because Jesus is who he says he is. He's not going to be with us, but the Holy Spirit convicts us of the reality that Jesus is who he says he is. I wonder if there's a believer in the house that believes that Jesus is who he says he is. Amen? You know that through the Holy Spirit. And then convict us of judgment because the enemy stands condemned. And that's good news. It means that even though through life we may have trials and we may have storms and we may have suffering and things that we don't understand, we know that the circumstances will not overcome us because our Savior is an overcomer. Right? And we know that the enemy is condemned. We have the victory even in the midst of the storm. Isn't that good news? That's good news. So, so as we continue to dive into those verses, I want to go to John chapter 16. I'm going to read from 4 all the way through 15, but really we're going to focus on 12 through 15. And it reads this way. But I've said these things to you that when their 
hour, when the hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin, because they do not believe in me concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Verse 12. Ready for this? I still have many things to say to you. But you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And by the way, all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. I want us to think of the scripture and think of the context. Here are the disciples, perplexed, trying to understand why this Jesus, this Messiah, this king of the world is going to leave them when they're ready to take over the world with him. But he says to them, you cannot come where I am going. But it's better for you because I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. And they're trying to understand all these things. Jesus is trying to get them to understand these things. And then he says this statement. I still have many, many things to say to you. You're just not ready for them right now. And that implies several things for the disciples. Number one, Jesus was going to say a whole lot more. He's not done. After his death on the cross and resurrection... Jesus didn't cease talking. He still has a lot to say. Number two, even though Jesus has a lot to say, he's not going to tell it to them right then. They're going to have to wait patiently for what Jesus has to say. I don't know about you, but sometimes we have some staff meetings or some ministry issues, and Pastor Laurel will say, Pastor, um, maybe sometime this week we can talk about some things at the church. And I can tell by her tone, it ain't a testimony. Right? I'm like, okay, so what's going on? It's like, I think it's better if we just wait and sat down and talk about some things. I was like, uh-oh. I don't know about you, but maybe you had the kind of parent that in public, they were very dignified. But they gave you that look, and then they said these words. We will talk at home. Like, can we talk now, please? Oh, God. Deliver me, God. Immediately, we said goodbye to our siblings and to our friends. I loved you. <laughs> Right? The agony just killed us until we got home because we knew we were going to get it. We're praying like never before, interceding. God, if you can somehow miraculously make my parents forget glory, I will bless you. Okay, am I the only one? I would pray, God, please make my mother forget. Right? I do not want to get whooped with syllables again. I told you not to. It's like, I need deliverance. Lord, save me from myself. Right? Anybody ever heard those words? The anticipation was a killer. One time, my dad said that to me. He says, wait for me in the room. He never even came in the room. I said goodbye to my siblings, to my mother. He, I think that, that boy would die if I look at him the wrong way. I'm not even going to go in that room. 
right? I mean, it's just the anticipation. And Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, I got a lot to say to you, but I cannot tell that to, I cannot speak to you about those things just yet. <sighs> Can you imagine? They're like, oh, why don't you just tell us? I can't just tell you. Don't know how to tell you. Don't know that you would receive it if I told you anyway. You cannot bear what I'm about to tell, what I would tell you anyways. Here is Jesus, God in the flesh. He knows the beginning. He knows the end from the beginning. You think the disciples, by the way, wanted to hear what would happen with their lives because they followed Jesus? You think that they would actually be interested in knowing the details of their future? Absolutely not. Jesus called his disciples at that moment, and he said, I want you to trust me, even though I am obscuring certain things. I'm obscuring certain things, not revealing certain things, because I know that you cannot bear them. But in their due time, you will receive them through the Holy Spirit. John and James were all about this kingdom stuff, and they went to their mama, said, Mama, if you go to Jesus and tell him that we want to sit on his right and on his left when, when he becomes king, that'd be awesome. We don't want to do it because the disciples will be mad at us. But if you could do it, <laughs> right? And so here's John and James' mom who goes to Jesus and says, hey, you think my sons can sit at your right and your left? And Jesus looks at them and says, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink my cup? They think, well, you're going to be king. You're going to have authority over all the world. Sure, I'll take your cup. And Jesus says, Indeed, you're going to take my cup, but it's not the kind of cup that you think you're going to drink. It's a cup of suffering. I'm going to die on the cross. I'm going to pay the price for your sins, and you will follow in my steps to preach the gospel that I will entrust to you through the power of my Holy Spirit. Bartholomew was skinned alive. Andrew hung on the cross for three days, and after three days, they were going to take him down, and he cried, No, God, please, I do not want to go back to the land of the living. John was fried, fried like in a frying pan. Paul was beheaded. Thomas was speared. You go down the line and you see what's happened to the saints. And I'm telling you, none of those boys wanted to hear, this is how you're going to die for me. High five. <laughs> right? Hey, Peter, you're going to hang on a cross for me upside down. Aren't you excited about that? By the way, James. James, after Jesus risen from the grave and was witnessing about the power of his name and who Jesus was, was arrested and he was about to be martyred for Jesus and his conviction about who Jesus was was so strong that the soldier that was next to James converted to Christ and said, you will not be a martyr alone, I will die with you. And that's the kind of conviction the church needs today. Anybody with me today? The church... The disciples were not ready to receive everything that Jesus had to tell them. And it's the truth in Scripture. God gave Abraham Isaac, but he didn't tell Isaac, he didn't tell Abraham that he had that one time he was going to call him to sacrifice his son. God gave Joseph dreams, but he didn't tell Joseph how long it would take for those dreams to be fulfilled or the journey that he would have to be on. God anointed David as king. But he didn't tell David, by the way, you're going to go through 31 years of persecution. Isn't that exciting? God made Esther the queen of Persia. But he didn't tell Esther that he would demand of her her life to stand for his people. God, 
God told Mary, the mother of Jesus, you're going to have my son, the Messiah. I love how the Creation Museum paints this. Mary says, as a little girl every day, I would go and I would, uh, go, we would see the sacrifice of a lamb for our sins. My dad was faithful to the sacrifice of a little lamb for our sins. And every time I see this precious lamb being sacrificed, and my heart would break as a little girl, but I knew, I knew the price of my sins and the consequence of sin. God told me that I would have his son, but he never told me that his son would be the lamb. Think about that. Mary, you will have my son. Didn't necessarily say anywhere in the beginning, he will be the Lamb of God. Put your place in that woman's shoe. shoes. Think about that reality. And Paul, who went preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, when he was about to die and he knew it, the disciples, the people, the leaders of Ephesus, they were weeping. And Paul says, listen, guys, I don't know what to tell you. I am bound by the Holy Spirit. I am arrested by the Holy Spirit. And the only thing the Holy Spirit tells me is that wherever I go, get ready for trial and suffering and persecution. That's an awesome calling. You know, I've never heard somebody say to me, Pastor, would you pray for me? I need more trials and persecution and suffering in my life, please. Just that God will give me a double portion. I never heard that. I'd slap somebody. I would. God's going to give you just what you need. But this was the call of Paul, and he knew it. It was a part, a part of following Jesus. Why is it that Jesus doesn't reveal to his disciples everything from the beginning? Because they're not ready for everything. And if you and I are going to make a commitment to follow Jesus wholeheartedly, we have to be willing to say, Jesus, I trust you, even though you don't reveal to me everything I want to know. I want to know it, but I know that I don't need to know it. And there I say, if I knew it, I'd probably run in the opposite direction. Can I get a witness or is it just me? Right? The question we have to ask ourselves is this. Will we trust Jesus when he keeps us in the dark about many things and reveals to us only what we need to know? And when Jesus keeps us in the dark, that's totally different than being in the darkness. Because I can be walking in the light while not knowing where God is leading me. And I can be in complete darkness thinking that I'm in control of my future and having clarity about where I'm going to be 5 and 10 and 20 years from now. Are you with me? I prefer walking in the light while Jesus keeps me in the dark than walking in the darkness thinking that I know my future. Anybody with me? Hmm. Will we trust Jesus? even when he keeps us in the dark and reveals only what we need for the season. Jesus knows what we can bear and when we can bear it. We have to trust what he reveals and also what he doesn't reveal. I can tell you that. I can, I can think of many times I said, God, I'm so thankful that you did not reveal that to me about that person because I wouldn't love them with the love of Christ. Thank you that you didn't reveal that to me about myself because I wouldn't be able to receive that love if I would have known that about myself earlier. Thank you, God, that you didn't reveal this about the ministry because I would have chosen a whole nother career for the glory of Jesus. Okay, all right. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. Jesus says, but he, when the spirit of truth comes, 
And can I say this? Since he is the spirit of truth, it means that there is no lie in him. And if there's no lie in him, he doesn't operate in deceit. So the Holy Spirit will never say to you, gotcha, I tricked you, lied to you a little bit, but look at where you're at now. The ends justify the means. That's not how he operates. The Holy Spirit does not operate that way. The Holy Spirit doesn't operate with small letters disclaimer. You ever get something in the mail, I don't know, something that says, hey, this is yours, $10,000. Small letter, all we need is your soul and your children's children's soul. It's like, okay, the Holy Spirit doesn't operate in small letter uh, disclaimer. And can I talk to you, church? Neither should we. If we're in communion with the Holy Spirit, we just speak the truth. No matter what business we're in. I don't care what the world says. The Holy Spirit operates in truth and allows the truth to persuade, not emotion. In today's culture, emotion persuades. But through, the scripture says that truth should persuade. Are we going to respond emotionally? Absolutely. Our God is an emotional God? Yes, he is. He's, we're not ruled by our emotions, but truth has a way of impacting our emotions. But we make a decision according to truth, not according to how I feel. If a child's about to get run over by the street, uh, on the street, the right thing is for me to go over there and try to save that child, even though I feel like, you know, that may be dangerous for me. I love what somebody say, said, courage is not the absence of fear, but the willingness to do what, what's right in the presence of fear. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth, and he will guide you into all the truth. Okay, we're going to get a little Sunday school. Any, any old believers know what Sunday school is? Right? That's when the preacher actually, you can talk back to the preacher, okay? The Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth. What does that mean? If the Holy Spirit's going to guide us into all truth, talk to me. What does that imply? Hmm? All. He's going to lead us into all the truth. Notice it doesn't say into all truths. Into all the truth. Jesus is the truth. The life, the truth, and the way. So the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to lead us into all of Jesus and into his manifold wisdom so that we can be completely restored to the Father. Into all the truth. What else does it mean? He's leading us away from the world into the truth. Okay, so if it's leading us, what does that mean? He's guiding us, absolutely. What does that mean? We need to follow him. If we're following him, what does that mean? Huh? Submission. Mm. Mm. We love that word submission. Just something, that's something good right here to us. Right? Come on, right? <laughs> what, what else? What else does that mean? Pay attention even though we may not want to hear it. And it means this, we're on a journey. He's guiding you. He's leading you into all the truth. And if he's leading me into all the truth, it means that I take a step, I'm into some new truth. Wow, now I get to apply that truth. Then I take another step. Whoa, this is new revelation. I didn't have that before. This is so necessary. Wow, now I'm going to apply this truth. Then another step. Whoa, my goodness, look at this revelation that I got now. Now I'm going to apply that. So it would be totally inappropriate for me to look back at somebody else and where they're at in their revelation and expect them to be where I'm at because they're being led just like me. 
We're being led and guided into the truth, which also means don't expect yourself to arrive at the destination just yet. If you're here and you're alive, you're still on the journey, Jack. Right? We're on the journey. On the journey towards Jesus. Give yourself some grace. You don't know everything you need to know, but you need to know exactly what you need to know. Are you with me? He's going to guide us into the truth. And as truth is revealed, we will apply it into our life and into our thinking. Because again, if he's leading us into truth, he's leading us into Jesus, who's leading us into God, which means that what really matters in life, pay attention, this is, this is vital. What really matters, we, it matters that we guard the way we think about God. What we think about who he is affects the way we do life. If we think that he's an auditor who's not pleased with us, we're going to walk life defeated, critical, and critical of those who surround us. If we think that he's a judge who's perfect and doesn't put up with imperfections, then we're going to try to hide the fact that we're not perfect. And we're going to look hypocritical because we're not. Are you with me? We need to guard the way we think about God because it informs the way we do life. Most, I'm going to testify right here. One of the most crippling things in my Christian walk has been the way that I think about God. And it has affected the way I think about myself. I, for many years in my life, walked with what I call a, a D attitude, a grade D, a D plus attitude. Below average, I'm almost going to get an average, and I'm just treading water trying to get to average. And I would wake up in the morning with that feeling, arrested by fear, wondering if I would make the right decisions to be pleasing to God. While all along, God is trying to tell me, son, you start with an A+. You're not a survivor. You're more than an overcomer. I need you to get this. You're thinking wrongly about me, which is affecting you, which will affect your marriage, which will affect your children. I'm going to testify. I'm going to be real vulnerable before you. The other day, my little girl, Lily, fell on the floor and hurt herself. And she looked at me like I would be disappointed and ran to her mom for comfort. And it broke my spirit. I said, and I stepped back and I said, I didn't like that look. Why did she look at me as if I wouldn't comfort her, but rather be disappointed that she got hurt? Can I be real with you? And I said, Lord, whatever I'm doing in my parenting needs to change. You know what the Lord said? You're thinking wrongly about me. And every time you think wrongly about me, it's going to affect the way you treat your wife and your children. Are you with me today? We need some freedom in the way that we think. We need some freedom in the way that we think. We need to get up in the morning knowing that we're to be loved. Knowing that we have been chosen. Hallelujah. He will guide us into all the truth. The Spirit is only interested in revealing the character and nature of Jesus. The only desire of the Holy Spirit is to reveal the character and nature of Jesus Christ. You want to know why? For two purposes. Because when he reveals the character and nature of Jesus Christ to us, we're going to say, wow, God, you're awesome, number one. And number two, we're going to say, wow, God, I am not awesome. Right? One, God, you're awesome. And then it reveals to us 
his character, his nature, and then we see where we're at, and we say, God, we want to line up more to your character and nature through the power of your Holy Spirit. It's your Holy Spirit that does that work. And then that's how God gets the glory. How does God get the glory? When our lives reflect him. If it's the Holy Spirit, if it's really the power of the Holy Spirit, if it's really a revival that gives God the glory, if it's a revival that exalts the name of Jesus Christ, people should look, walk, talk like Jesus. Jesus' name should be exalted. And there should be people who say, look at the little Jesuses. Look at the little Jesus. Look at the little Christians. That's what they said in Acts. That should be a reality in our lives today. And that's how God gets the glory. That's how he gets the glory. How? As, we, as the Holy Spirit leads us into the truth of who he is, into the freedom of who he is, the victory of who he is, and we allow our character to be shaped by his love. Would you stand with me today? When we get a picture of who he is, when we are convicted of who we're not, when we repent and line up to his will, Jesus gets the glory. Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful for the work of the Holy Spirit. Anybody here thankful for the work of the Holy Spirit today? Hallelujah. I am thankful for the work of the Holy Spirit. I am thankful for the way he reaches out to us. Amen. You begin to just pray in your own words and say thank you to God for the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Ah, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Maybe you're here today. We're going to make some altar calls. I just want to make an invitation. This invitation is I'm going to just 